0: this episode is brought to you in partnership with Life Kitchens. Life create kitchens to be lived in, planned around your life and the way you live it. Explore their unique ranges and book a design consultation for a personal and practical approach to kitchens. Visit life-kitchens.co.uk.
1: It's very, very important. And I'm not saying which part of a meal we are, whether we're at the start of main course or pudding, but if architecture is one of them and interior design is one of them, you don't really get the meal if you don't consider all three.
0: Hello, I'm Carol Annett from Country & Townhouse magazine. Welcome to the House Guest Podcast, where I chat with experts from the world of interior design and decoration, the people behind the houses, hotels, shops and brands you see in glossy magazines like ours. If you listen on the Entail app, there's more information and images on the projects and people mentioned. And if you're doing up your own home, hopefully you'll pick up some tips for yourself. My house guest today is marcus barnett who's developed an international reputation for creating gardens and landscapes that combine strong architectural form and naturalistic planting marcus barnett studio was established in 2004 and has won best in category and three chelsea flower show gold medals we chatted recently over a zoom call marcus but, that's how it all
1: started so my Starting landscape design came relatively late in life, after seven years of being in the British Army, throughout which I had a voice in my head saying, "Uh, you've got to design and build gardens. And it was very specific, the voice, um, which I'm pleased to say has now gone. And the voice just got louder and louder and louder. But I thought it was a really silly voice to have because I just thought it was a very unconventional line of work. I wasn't really aware of people who were pursuing it. But the voice became so loud that I had to um, leave conventional employment at the age of 33, study uh, very intensively for a year. And then I graduated and then I built my The first garden I built was a Chelsea Flower Show garden in one of the small categories. I think it was chic, which is kind of oxymoron. And um, <laughs> uh, we got gold and best in category. And then... Um, it, by complete luck, and, and I think great many people have these stories where fortune stumbles upon them, the Savile's Garden was about 150 metres beyond ours, which meant that the Savile's sponsors had to pass ours on their way to their garden, which had won silver or silver gilt that year. And they always used to decelerate as they passed and chat, and eventually they, their deceleration came to a, a stop and they walked onto our garden said, who designed it? We did. Because so I'd done it with a collaboration with, us, with one of the colleagues from my, a co-students from my design school. And we explained who we were. And Savile said, um, quite literally then and there, would you like to design our garden at Chelsea next year? And we said, yes. We shook hands and that was the deal. <laughs> and then they gave us a check for a relatively large sum of money and said, see you in May next year. And that's pretty much how that went.
0: Crikey, that's quite an auspicious start. But where did your love of gardens and design come from? Was it from- Well, indirectly,
1: I suppose it probably came via Jeff Hamilton, whom I didn't know who he was, but my mother did. And this was in the time of avocado bathrooms and Laura Ashley wallpaper. And uh, she used to go out into the garden and uh, dig and design things. And she used to drag me out as a bit of muscle and uh, I was reluctantly roped in but I was picking it up without really noticing and I'm sure I made a few suggestions I'm not sure they were wise ones and I'm not sure they were implemented but that's it and then I then I left home and became a soldier and any kind of seed sowing from a, a a sort of mental desire point of view to to pursue the, the subject I was unaware of it And um, and it obviously just sort of lay quietly waiting to to become more audible later in life.
0: And what do you think it was that caught Savile's eye? What was it about your garden particularly, do you think, that really excited them?
1: Well, I mean, I'm going to say all I'm going to do there is speak really positively about it, aren't I? Because it's like your own child. It can do no wrong. But um, it was a really good design. We nicked, um, we didn't nick, we we borrowed with permission.
0: inspired by, maybe?
1: Well, it it was called The Gallery Outside and we had in the walls photographs taken by uh, Patrick Litchfield, Lord Litchfield, who died a year after that garden. So um, we went to see Patrick Litchfield in his studio and it was really hilarious um, because we said we'd like to borrow some photographs and we'd like to borrow yours because he was an ex-Grenadier soldier. I'm an ex-Scots Guard soldier. So I managed to pull the the connections out and get to see him. And um, he said, uh, are you talking boobs and pubes or are we talking photos that don't involve those things? And I said, I don't think the RHS would permit boobs and pubes. And he said, oh, what a shame. He said, but should we look through them anyway? And so he, re- he ran off to get a contact portfolio that was A1 in size. So when opened, it was A0. And he, we, were, we spent ages going through these photographs. We're supposed to see him for half an hour. We stayed for, we almost stayed for lunch, I think. We went through all these photos and he talked with great enthusiasm about some of the wonderful photographs he'd taken and some of the meetings he'd had with some of the ladies in them.
0: Can I just ask, are there any, are we talking any man boobs in here and pubes? Any? Oh yeah, there was (laughs) everything. There was everything
1: to see. There There was something for everyone.
0: Good, okay, that's fine.
1: And, um... And then we looked at photographs, which didn't involve that subject matter, uh, but some of them were not far off. And we settled on a photograph of Mick Jagger, Mick and Bianca Jagger on their wedding day. So John Gielgud, Charlie Chaplin and Marlon Brando and uh, Sarah Miles. And this might be sounding incredibly incongruous, photographs would be put in a garden but if you saw the, the the design i think you'd see it would work and then one of the things that we it was a very modern contemporary garden clearly it had to be and i was in a i was in a traffic jam on a dual carriageway and on my left was a building site that was cordoned off by corrugated iron and i thought god what a cool material if we could make that look really good so we bought corrugated iron sprayed it sort of a dull matte stainless steel and corrugated iron is always put vertically. So we changed it and put it horizontally. And it was a really cool garden. And um, we, we use pour con- poured concrete, which is madness at Chelsea, pouring concrete to walk on rather than something that uh, forms a basis of a wall is just complete madness. But we did it anyway, because we were ignorant and it came off and that's the rest of it. The, and then Saddles kindly said yes to, um, sponsoring us for 2006 and seven.
0: Brilliant. And so how has your um, philosophy changed over the years? I mean, are are you still using uh, sort of industrial style materials and doing mad things or have you kind of grown up and learnt and has kind of maturity quelled some of that adventure?
1: No, I would say if anything, that is an ambition that I hold very dear and with great enthusiasm for opportunities to execute, which are not very often offered in the style of the gardens that we are largely invited to um, design or or partner with in terms of our clients and their, their style ambition. So we now work in London, outside London and overseas and our projects are, extraordinary in scale. And we're very, very lucky indeed uh, to have such wonderful opportunities and environments and just design teams to collaborate with because it's an enormous partnership between us and the architects and the interior designers. And I genuinely mean that uh, because we take great reference from the architecture and great reference from the interior design always. So in answering your question, a uh, great reference from the architecture, contemporary style houses are the exception rather than the rule. And so modern elements is in their truest sense and modern contemporary design in its truest sense doesn't come along very much, less so in this country, more so overseas, because our climate is not so sympathetic to contemporary design, but it, it can be in the right environment.
0: I had a quick look at some of the work that you've done and um you talk about clean geometry and richly planted spaces is that if you were sort of suggesting to somebody uh, how to make the most of their garden in a very simplistic way is that is that what you're looking for to create lines and symmetry and then to add all your beauty on top
1: hopefully the latter all the beauty on top is always present but One size does not fit all. And the geography, the scale, the um, aspect, the architectural style, the client, the age of the client, even the age of the client, the culture of the client, as in which country are they from? um, And obviously the budget, all these things and many more that I haven't listed greatly influences how a design will end up. So if it says on my website that we have geometric lines, it doesn't mean that that is everywhere. And it might also be that it is somewhere in a design, but that in another area of the same design, there are not geometric lines, but the planting is the bit that I hold most dear and is the most exciting element of what we do. And it's even more exciting in a country like the UK, and you and I are talking now on the 1st of February, and our, our plants are in their dormancy and soon to start waking up. and. That is what's so wonderful about this country and slightly sad is that we have these very hard winters or less so now, but we, we have the, the, the flush of spring and that, that zing, that lime of green that starts to appear and then it's just cascaded all over the country. It's stunning and so that you can create incredible beauty and swathes of plants and perennials and the like of which you can't do perhaps in other countries. So the plants, the trees, the shrubs, Um, Topiary, if it's required, is what really excites me and my practice. All the team are equally excited by the prospect of planting.
0: Can you tell me a little bit about a couple of your favourite projects?
1: We have one project near Sirencester in the Cotswolds, and we've partnered with a client now for over ten years. And they're a wonderful client. They make decisions incredibly quickly, and they're very very clear about what it is that they want which makes design uh, very very easy and uh, they have a desire for excitement and um, ambition and a degree of playfulness and that is a lovely project and we've built I I think if I could lift my clients with their permission out of their homes and say go on hop it um, I'm going to move in that home could possibly be the one that I would want to move into because the architecture is stunning, the interior design is stunning and beautifully finished and conceived and executed and the landscape is no exception either. It's really, really lovely what we've done there.
0: How do you bring excitement into a garden? Well,
1: our designs, where you have the opportunity for for scale, because not everything um, offers scale, obviously, I would want there to be in nearly every scenario, a degree of curiosity. What is it that you're, you're hinting at over here that you're calling on me to go and investigate? Where is the curiosity? If you stand on a sort of raised piece of land just beneath the threshold of the building and you can see the whole landscape and the garden, then there's no desire to adventure. There's no sense of what is out there. So I will try to partition, horrible word, veil, hide, but also tease, reveal a, a series of garden spaces and rooms and where a client has a desire for playfulness. I mean, it's not, in the little sense, it's not about swings and slides. It's about um, having different designs and different spaces, but they're all themed. as an overarching design element that's all the same. I suppose it's a little bit like, um, you know, if you simplify things, and you know a, a car manufacturer they're all different sizes and types of cars but they're they're all connected by the same brand and um, and i suppose a garden's a little bit like that there's that you, you can see that a material is used in a different way in this space but it's used in a different way in another space but it's the same material to simplify things as a means of explanation
0: and in the same way that an interior designer would have a narrative when you've got your blank sheet of paper um, because I, I, I believe you still draw, draw everything by hand initially. When you're sitting there with your blank piece of paper, are you, do you have a story in your head as to how it's, how it's going to unfold?
1: So the, 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 uh, the analogy that I use to our clients is um, we require from them as detailed a client brief as they can provide. And sometimes that's very, very thorough and meticulous. Please don't. And, and it goes down to detail like, We hate orange, so please don't put orange perennials in the design, in which case we then have a debate because sometimes orange is required to punctuate the other colors. And then some clients cannot really offer you anything because everyone understands a wall, a window, a curtain, a dining table, a kitchen, a cooker, a bath, um, a garage, but clients' understandings of gardens, horticulture, retaining walls, steps, and such like is, is often not as strong. And so the more detail we have in a client brief, the better. We're still very good, I believe, as a practice at providing a design where the brief is very, very small and short, but it's like a compass bearing. And a project is like going on a march on a bearing. And if you, if you, are, if you and the client, and indeed the other design specialists, I mentioned them earlier, architects and interior designers, are on the same bearing then when you get to your end point you'll all be in the same place over a three or four or five year journey one being one bearing out means that you won't be in the right place at the end of the journey and that's a bit of a military um, analogy because I did it for a living quite literally but uh, it's very true so the, the client brief is of paramount importance to a project and yes I sit at a Blank piece of normal, in normal circumstances, tracing paper over the um, topographical survey, and um, I have the client brief printed out on the on the uh, paper with me, so I constantly refer to it. It's the handrail for design, and I start to scribble over the paper, and normally have a pretty clear idea about what I'm going to do, uh, but there are times when a design will not come easily, but and I think when I was less experienced, I would become mildly panicked by the, the failure to get a design to come. But now I do not get so panicked because I've solved a design dilemma on every occasion. So I know that it, it is going to happen. You just have to persevere.
0: Yeah. And um, where, where are you based and how many are in your team?
1: Right now we're 10, we are normally 12. We I don't want to be any larger. I don't want an enormously large practice. We have a studio, our own studio, which we bought and designed and rebuilt in Hammersmith, London, which means it services, I can get into central London to meet clients in half an hour. Likewise, I can jump on the M4, M40, M3, and also Heathrow when it's open. Um, very, very quickly. And I have, I'm talking to you now, uh, we have a satellite studio from um, a base in uh, Overton, Hampshire.
0: Okay, thank you so much, Marcus. I think we have covered a lot of ground, and it's it's fascinating as a, as a sort of non-gardener and somebody who's kind of tends to be more in general, more, you know, I go I, I go into the house as opposed to looking outside first. It's, you know, it's just a synergy. It's just the whole, The whole space, isn't it? And I think, you know, to have that kind of budget where you'll spend, you can um, work on the exterior as much as the interior. I just think, you know, there's um, some very lucky people out there in order to be able to bring you on board and create gardens that are going to evolve over time and just become more and more beautiful.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's a privilege um, to be in a position to invest in in your in the in the in the space outside of your home, there's no doubt about it. But um, it's very very important, and I'm not saying which which part of a meal we are, whether we're the starter, main course, or pudding. But if in if architecture is one of them, and interior design is one of them. You don't really get the meal if you don't consider all three. So um, it's really important. I'm bound to say that, but i also I'm passionate about it, and. Uh, and I hope that uh, we'll go on as a practice, continuing to, to work as we do.
0: Yeah, here. All right. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening to House Guests from Country and Townhouse magazine with me, Carol Annett. Don't forget to subscribe to the series on iTunes or Entail, where you can also find images, links and notes to enhance each episode. In the meantime, you can follow me on Instagram at carolwannett. And keep up to date on all the podcast news and show notes online at countryandtownhouse.co.uk slash podcast. And please don't forget to rate, review and subscribe. For more news and views in the world of interior design, sign up to our newsletter at countryandtownhouse.co.uk and why not listen in to our sister podcast, Breakout Culture with Lord Ed Vasey and Charlotte Fruity Metcalf.